Okay, and welcome to the show. This upload is coming to you April 5th, 2017. And you're listening to the Post Money Plan Podcast, where we believe empowerment comes through knowledge. So today we'll be discussing recruitment as a follow-on to the podcast I did with Peter Ye on getting the job that you want. So now in this one, we're going to cover recruitment. More specifically, we're going to cover how the recruitment process works, important things to know about the recruitment process, incentives that headhunters and internal recruiters have, and things you should be thinking about negotiating with recruiters, and then a few things you should avoid doing during the recruitment process. So today I have on the show Peter Ye. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks, Dallas. Happy to be back. So if you could just give the audience a little background on yourself again. Sure. So currently, um, I work for a management consulting company. My background, I've actually been a part of the recruitment process uh, in grad school where I was essentially a graduate assistant, handpicked to help other MBA students as well as master's in finance students uh, look for a job, prepare them for an interview, educate them on what the recruitment process looks like. I've had seven jobs at this point dealing with internal recruiters as well as headhunters, which we'll get into later. And yeah. Okay. So I guess that means you have a little bit of experience in dealing with headhunters. I've had a couple and actually a lot of people recently have as well. Just if you have a LinkedIn profile, you've had experience dealing with headhunters. Generally, people reach out to you fairly regularly nowadays, and this whole LinkedIn platform has definitely changed the recruiting as we've known it in the last couple of decades. Okay, then let's just jump into it. How does the recruitment process work? So in this scenario, I'm going to assume that everyone's actually actively applying and actively looking for a job. We understand that you could be already be in a job and unhappy and people can reach out to you via LinkedIn and other sources. But in this scenario, let's just assume that we're applying. So we're going to go through two types of recruitment processes, or at least the thought processes, internal versus external recruitment. Internal meaning that the person you're speaking to or that you're applying on their company website where the company will find a need that they need within the company and they would post it. This job title is going to come with your description, very standard. Note that whenever you do do this, that sometimes when you do find a job on a company website that's and you might never get reached out to again, that's because that, that job description or that they posted has already been filled. They're required by law to post a job even if they already have an internal candidate for it. So, for instance, if there's an accounting manager position, they could have already picked out someone within the company, but legally they have to post it on their job site. So you mean they're giving us hope without any promise? Exactly. It's kind of unfair. It's funny, but they do need to theoretically still post it and let people apply, which is really unfair to those that are applying for that job. And the idea there being that they're giving everyone a chance, theoretically? Exactly. Theoretically. It's hard to prove that they are or are not, but they do have to post it. The second point is, you know, you apply for that job. You've probably heard of this as well. There's a lot of auto screening that occurs nowadays, which is they are looking for certain buzzwords within your resume that are applicable to that job description. So generally, when you're looking at 
let's say, an accountant position, they'll be looking at maybe the word CPA, maybe the word tax, maybe certain things that you've done within your job that they're really honing in on. And you can you can look up these buzzwords anywhere, essentially, online. So that's kind of the auto screening process. The reason why they do that is because there's usually hundreds, if not thousands of applications for very highly sought after positions. In order to make it very simple for the HR recruiter, they use these auto screening, this methodology where maybe seven of these buzzwords or 10 of these buzzwords need to appear on your resume in order for a human person to actually look at it. And I'm sure you've read this online in other places. The next is the HR screening, where that 100, let's say there's 100 resumes, maybe 10 will make it to the HR screening, where the real person will take your resume, start reading through it to make sure that all the qualifications on that resume actually fit the job description. Generally, that's where the HR representative will make at least a first round cut of how many people that they want to actually bring in for an interview. Now, is anybody actually, actually looking at my resume? Or is it just like someone sees what it looks like and then they either like put it aside or put it in the look again stack? So it depends on how the HR, HR department is structured. I'm sure sometimes there's multiple people that might actually look at it, but the understanding, depending on how seasoned, I would say, the HR professional is maybe looking at your resume, they might not completely understand everything that's on there. Hence, there might be a second look or hence there might be an HR manager looking at your resume. Now, if it's a position that's at a higher level, so higher than entry level, probably a manager position, you're looking at fairly seasoned HR representatives, which then in that case, I would say there's definitely are people looking at it. I'd say entry level, it could be a possibility that they're just looking at your GPA and how many years of experience that you have. And that can bring you in for a first round. So. So what are some simple things that might get your resume thrown to the side? Spelling errors. <laughs> I would say exclamation points, <laughs> smiley faces. There are certain things that you put on your resume that just aren't professional. Having a life biography, keep it short, keep it simple, get to the point, make it look nice. This is a document that is supposed to sum up your experiences and really get you through the door. And you want it to look professional. You want it to look nice. You want it to be aligned correctly. You want to use the same font for the whole page. These are very basic things, but a lot of people overlook them while applying for a job. So to, to get back to kind of the process, then the HR person will actually go out and you go through your first round. If you're lucky, you go to the second round. Depending on what position and how hard it is to get past it, I guess, how high this position is, you may have to go through many rounds. I've gone through actually nine rounds myself based on positions. So you know, wait, 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 say that again. You went through nine rounds of interviews and for one job? For one job. And it's funny because... So they really didn't trust you. (laughs) Is that the problem there? (laughs) They essentially asked me the first three rounds, then they added the additional six because they just didn't like the way it looked, I guess. (laughs) So, So then you go through all of these and let's say you're lucky enough essentially to get an offer. So generally, I would say that offer... An HR professional, or at least for every position within a company, there is a value for that position that they usually assign for it. So let's say you're, it's a data analyst and they're saying that the 
It's an entry-level data analyst, and that company values that position at $50,000 a year. In this case, that's the maximum that they're able to spend. Now, an HR person or a recruiter, when they're making that offer to you, they're usually assuming that there's going to be some type of negotiation. So they might actually make the offer out at 40000 saving the company $10,000, or at least what they've allocated for that and if you don't, and then there comes the point where they believe that you're going to negotiate. That's the whole entire, they give themselves some leeway. If you don't negotiate, you might be leaving money on the table, which comes back to the negotiation process of whether or not you want to push back. But generally, that is how it works, where they do you make an offer sometimes much lower or lower not necessarily much lower, but lower than the actual what the company is willing to pay for that position. And then there's acceptance. So that's that's kind of an internal recruitment cycle. Let me just go back over that. So you said there's the company figures out what they need, then they advertise it, even if they have someone in mind, but especially if they don't, then you can apply. Then it goes through some automated screening process. Then the HR is looking at either your resume or calling you up and then then you maybe you get invited in for interviews and you go through x number of interviews nine maybe if, if it's in your case and then if they like you they'll make you an offer and then you can go through a negotiation process and then then you have a done deal yeah then you sign your papers and you go through your general blood work and and uh fun stuff like that okay so then how is the external process different and what do you mean by external process? That's a good question. So the external process is that you didn't apply on their company website or an HR representative from that company didn't necessarily contact you. Someone else did. External process is essentially where another headhunting or another company is actually doing the recruitment for the actual company. So let's use Microsoft. They might use an, another company to start or at least contract another company to start looking on their behalf. So for example, an external company would be, okay, let's, let's say the company that's looking for someone to fill the position is an accounting company. Let's say KPMG. And they're looking for someone such as a tax specialist to fill a position. They would contract, in this case, one of the bigger headhunter companies is Michael Page to look on their behalf to see if there's anyone that they can find in their candidate pool or otherwise that might be able to be a good fit for that position. So you can think of it almost as a middleman in terms of they're looking to fill a position, but their HR may not be able to find someone or they really want need this position filled in a hurry. So they would actually contract the whole recruitment process out. And they don't they, at least it wouldn't be the whole recruitment process. It would actually just be the initial finding of the person where that's going to be where a headhunting company might come into play. Now, it's, it's still the same process as internal in the case that the company identifies a position that needs to be filled. But then in this case, KPMG will contact Michael Page and say, this is who, this is a position we need. This is the description. Please help us find someone. So then how does that end up being different for you? 
So it ends up being different for you because it's actually, I would say it's an added interview process because in the case of a hand hunting company or in the case of Michael Page in this case, their reputation stems from providing their client, in this case KPMG, with good candidates. They can't just provide them with anyone they want. So what they do is they actually reach out. This can be via LinkedIn. This can be via email, via phone. Maybe they're a candidate database that they have. And they'll reach out and say, look, there's this quote unquote perfect position for you. Our client is looking for someone that has your criteria. Would you be interested? And if you say yes, what happens is then you actually go through a almost to a certain degree an interview process with the headhunting company before you even actually go to your first interview with the recruiter. So there's almost an additional interview process that you have to jump through. So if this is a whole additional layer, should you be trying to avoid this? I would say not necessarily. The recruiter, the headhunter has certain incentives to make sure that you make it through. So what they'll do is sometimes they'll actually help you prepare for the interview if you make it through their cut. Sometimes they'll get you ready in terms of going through practice interviews. They have the incentive to make sure that if you make it through their round, they also that you make it through other rounds through the internal process. So it's give and take. It's just another way for you to get a job. Even if it is an extra step, sometimes they are helpful. Other times they aren't. And that, that is a very case dependent basis. It's, it's never always the same. Okay, what else is different, or is that it, in the external case? You still go through the interviews, and you still go through a negotiation process. The interesting part, at least about my experience with negotiation, is that I actually negotiated almost two layers to be able to understand what compensation that I'm getting. And I found out that later that sometimes that process between the external and internal, the headhunter as well as the internal person, aren't necessarily, they're not necessarily on the same page, which can create an issue in terms of that whole negotiation process of getting what you deserve. And in my case, I don't think that that was properly in my case, it would have been much better if I was dealing directly with the internal process. So the negotiation process can also be more complicated than it needs to be, given that there is a middleman involved. Okay, so it seems like you're saying the two main differences when it comes to external recruiters is you have an added layer of vetting in terms of the interview process, and then an added layer of negotiation in the negotiation process? Yes. That those would be your two, I would say, bottlenecks to a certain degree for the external process. And then just as like an overview of that whole situation, are there any important things that we should know about the recruitment process? In terms of the recruitment process, the recruiters aren't generally experts in the field. So they're not going to necessarily ask questions that are very specific within the field, nor nor are they really going to look at, ask you very difficult technical questions. They're really looking for the buzzwords on your resume or very general observations of whether or not you're, you're able to get along well with the team. They're looking at kind of your attitude, your, your ability to learn, how well you carry yourself, how polite you are. These are generally the things that they're looking for in terms of recruiters. The recruitment process itself 
you can always go on things like Glassdoor to understand possible stages before you actually go in. It's very helpful to understand how many more stages are ahead of you because based on where you are in the recruitment process, you're going to be talking to more senior people. And these questions only get harder as you go along this recruitment process. The negotiations we've covered prior, which is essentially making sure that you don't just look at what they give you, but sometimes you're able to push back. So there is one thing that I would like to bring up that I failed to mention before about the negotiation process, and that is that your total compensation isn't necessarily just from your salary. You can actually negotiate things like more days off. You can negotiate things that maybe it's a common checkpoint of how you're doing within your job for your promotion. Maybe it can be a fast track to promotion. So there are other things that really you should consider that's not just pushing a salary. If they're very, if the recruiters or the HR are unwilling to do that, generally you could also negotiate other aspects of compensation. And I guess another thing that I'd like to mention is that their whole recruitment process, they're, you're trying to make sure that you fit into their company just as much as they're trying to make sure that they're finding the right person. I think that's important to note, especially in today's day and age where people were, I think on average, people jump something like nine jobs throughout their career. And I think that's just because people are more likely to actually just accept a job because that's just our culture. But it's very important to find a place that you feel like you can really grow and cultivate and learn. And that's in the recruitment processes in that time frame where you can actually hone or figure out whether or not you, you would like to be there. So a little bit before you were talking about headhunters and when you're negotiating the salary, can you give us a little feel for what the incentives are for headhunters and how that's different for the incentives for maybe an HR person or internally? Sure, sure. So, so let's start with the internal portion first. Internal HR, that's their job. They're salaried. They're usually given tasks or at least jobs to fill by manager, direct hiring managers within their firm. So they'll post them. They'll post it on their company website. They'll reach out to, to candidates, at least for the first round. They'll usually be at a point of contact. And then their bonuses in terms of their payout structure, this I'm a little not as clear, but it, I believe their bonuses, it may depend on kind of their hiring or how many people they're able to place. But Generally, their compensation is their salary. And an external, in the case of a headhunter, they're purely, they might be salaried, but their major compensation is actually from their bonuses, which usually appear after they are able to place someone within a firm. And now once they've placed a candidate within a firm, they actually have a clawback provision where that candidate needs to stay with that firm for a year or more. And once they hit a year, the company in which they place them will give them a 20% cut of whatever that candidate's salary is. Now, it's not always 20%, but that's around the range of where they get. So let's say they place you at $50,000. After a year, if you're still there within that company, they get paid $10,000 for helping place you. So at first, you might think when I hear you say that is that, okay, then their incentives are aligned with mine when I'm looking for a job and they're going to get paid if they place me. But it's really the case, right, that 
they're just looking to place anybody, not specifically me. So they don't care if it's me or someone else. And they're really just looking to fill the position because they're going to get the compensation from the company to fill the vacancy. So, so they're just going to get the compensation from the company to fill the vacancy. And it's not specific to you per se, right? That's true. I mean, generally, once they have you as a candidate and you're going through their process, they're vested in you because of the fact that you're one foot through the door. You've made their internal cut. So they're going to spend more time on you and hence they will be more vested because if you get hired, then they get paid. But generally in the very beginning, this is why a lot of people get these mass emails or these mass in-mails, so to speak, from LinkedIn, where you get all these things saying, hey, my client is looking for an accounting position that fits your criteria. If you're looking, reach out to me. Those are almost spam mails where sometimes the headhunter knows what they're doing. Sometimes they don't. They just send it out to multiple people at once. I've actually gotten emails where it's saying, I think you'd be a great fit for this position. Let's set up a time for a call and then I'll respond back. Like, not that I really care, but I'll just respond back like, sure. When do you want to schedule it? And never get any response back. And so I know it's just spam where they're not even paying attention to what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they see something, they hone on, hit on one thing, whether or not, let's say you have like a series seven and they send it out to everyone that has a series seven. So, it, you know, it's, that's, I would say, is almost like a scatter shot. They're hoping to pick up some people that they can go through the process. I'd say once you've gone through, once they're accepted for their first interview or the second interview, they're going to be more vested in you as a candidate because you're so much closer to that bonus payout for them. With that said, even though they're vested in you, they still have their own interests at heart. So if you think about their payout structure, they're vested in you for a year. So in my case, when I got hired at a company where a headhunter has placed me, I got a monthly reach out or actually even a, every other week they would reach out to me seeing how I was doing. Then once I get to about six months, it became a monthly reach out. Once I hit a year, I haven't spoken to them again. They're going to try their best essentially to make sure that you stay so that they can get paid out. They can get their cut of their bonus, which is which is dangerous in a way because then they can reach back out to you <laughs> and then bring you into another firm. Now, has that happened that that has, at least for me, where they've had they've reached back out to me after that year is done? So again, they're not really looking for your best interests. They want to make sure that you stay within that position for a year. And also because of that and because of their payout structure, if you get your offer from, from the company, they don't necessarily have a huge incentive for you to negotiate because they want their employer to accept you as a candidate because if they accept someone else as a candidate, then they don't get their bonus. So, But aren't they usually getting a percentage of the salary that you would get? Exactly. So th they would be getting a percentage of your salary. So let's say you're making $50,000 and they would get 20%. So you get $10,000. Well, if you're in a negotiation process and you raise that to $55,000, they're really only going to get $1,000 more, whereas you get five. Their, their incentive is a fifth of yours to raise your salary. Now, if you decide to negotiate and you lose the job, and they decide to go with someone else because you push too hard or something like that, they get zero. So their their incentive is more to make sure that you accept whatever is being proposed than to actually help you gain more money. And that that's something that I personally learned the hard way. So it's twofold again, you know, to recap. It's one, 
they don't have a huge incentive to help you negotiate to your full potential. And two, they really don't have your best interests at heart. They just really want you to stay longer than their clawback period, which in, from what I can tell is a year. Since you're talking about it, how should you be negotiating with headhunters? And we can talk about internal as well, but what should you be doing in the negotiation process? That's a great question. I think in both cases, an internal and external recruiter, throughout your interview process, they're going to ask you about your expectation for salary. That's one of the most, that's a question that people usually feel very, they don't feel very comfortable about, about answering. So usually the negotiation process will start with almost that. And that's generally not even the final round interview. Maybe that's the second to final where they're going to ask you or gauge kind of how much they're going to have to pay you to make sure that your expectations are aligned with theirs. So generally, you don't answer that. You don't answer a dollar amount. You don't answer, hey, this is what I hope to make. Let's say again, maybe to use the examples we've been using before, let's say $60,000 is your is your goal. If you made that, you'd accept the job right away. Don't answer $60,000 right away when they ask you that. Try to answer with something along the lines with, I'm looking for something that's very competitive in this industry and maybe leave it as that. Try to make it broad. Know that you've done your research or at least make it seem like you've done your research of what that competitive amount really means. And for that job description. Worst case scenario, if they really are pushing very hard, you can possibly give a range, but just make sure that low end of the range is higher than the lowest amount that you would accept. Hence, where they're most likely going to start. So you want to avoid giving an amount. If you can, make sure that you give more broad answers showing that you've done your research, but that you're expecting something competitive. What are you saying would happen if you say a specific salary number when they ask you? Saying a specific salary number would be two things. It would give them exactly where you'd like to end up. And generally, even if they were going to offer you that salary, they would offer you something lower. The second is if it's one, if it's too high, generally, if you're going to give a specific number, it's your goal. It's not your what you end up with. It might actually preclude you from moving forward with that job. Say if their cap for that position was 55,000 and you said 60 and that's your expectation and someone else says 50, that could take you out of the running. So it actually saying that one number would hurt you more so than it would help. But I mean, in, you know, in summary, try, try not to say a number. I think that would really helps, really helps you be able to make a decision after they've made you the offer. And then that's where the negotiation can occur. Try to leave as much of that as possible after you have an offer in hand. If they do ask you it, again, try to go along the lines of something where you say, I'm looking for something that's very competitive in this industry. I've looked at certain comparables and I'm hoping to, to receive something along those lines. At the very worst, again, give a range with the low low end higher than your walk away amount. So your walk away amount, meaning if they offered you if they offered you a certain amount, you wouldn't even take the job. That's where something that you don't want. Make sure that range is much higher than that that amount. You know, make it as broad as possible. Make sure that range is higher than your walk away amount and over your target. Okay, so that kind of leads me into asking you, other than not saying a salary number, what are things that you should not do during the recruitment process? It's a good question. You know, 
I would say some of these might be very, very obvious, but it's necessary to reiterate, which is, you know, being late to any type of meeting or interview would really hurt you in terms of the recruitment process. It's, it could actually start the conversation on the wrong foot, but also, you know, as they say, a first impression really carries a long way. A lot of these recruiters take your first five minutes or 10 minutes of an interview within talking to you, they can already figure out whether or not you're going to make it through. They've already had it in their mind whether or not you're going to make it through the interview or that stage. And being late really just throws that whole thing off. Even if you are the best interviewer, that could really hurt you. Another thing that could really, that you shouldn't do during a recruitment process is ask about how much they're paying (laughs) for the position especially within your first or second rounds, because that right there is a very aggressive way of saying, hey, I'm really only here for the amount. I'm not necessarily interested in your job. And that really throws the recruiter off or the interviewer off. How should you get a general sense of the salary potential for a job early on? That's actually fairly simple. That's a good question is right now there's a lot of different forums where you can go, but one of my favorites is Glassdoor, where you can actually type in the position you're looking for and the company, and they'll give you a salary range of people who have submitted their salaries anonymously. And right there, you should already have an expectation of how much you could possibly make in that job. That's a great resource for that as well. The third one is being unprofessional, sitting up straight, answering the question, smiling, really being someone that they can see working in that corporate environment. You don't want to be too uptight or anything because that sometimes will throw them off, but being yourself, but being professional. Don't curse. These are all things that, you know, again, are fairly obvious, but are also very important to to note. What about in terms of dress? So you always want to be overdressed rather than underdressed. Um, generally, the recruiter will outline what you need to wear, whether that's business casual. I've always worn a suit. There are certain companies such as tech companies, which would frown upon that because they don't want people to be necessarily in suits. But for the most part, you want to be overdressed. You want to be in a suit. You want to be as professional as possible. You want to be in a black or blue suit. If you're a guy, if you're if you're a girl, I would wear a nice professional looking dress and, and heels. Those are generally the way to go. And that's usually something that the way you dress doesn't get you the job, but it can definitely cause you to not get the job. Exactly. That and also, if you're dressed well, you generally are able, you're almost portraying the best version of yourself. When you're on a phone call or if you're on a business meeting or something and you're dressed well, even within your own house, you're usually talking in a more professional manner and you're portraying the best version of yourself just knowing the fact that you're dressed professionally. And if you're doing the same thing in pajamas and walking around the house, you generally don't actually portray or really speak nearly as professional as you if you were if you were wearing a suit. So it's also a, a, a benefit that most people don't think about. To wrap up things you shouldn't necessarily do in your recruitment process, you, you don't want to be late for interviews, you don't want to ask about pay during interviews, and you don't want to be unprofessional, whether or not on calls or during the interview process. Okay, so we've covered a lot about the recruitment process and the linear flow of how it works, but we didn't really get into a big piece of it, which is how to interview. 
and that's going to make or break your ability to get a job. So I think we could actually go into that in another episode later, and we can cover more specifically the things that you should know and be preparing for and doing during the interview process. To add on to that, I think you don't need a bunch of interviews in order to get a job. You need one. You just need to nail that one interview. And really being prepared for that interview and knowing what to say and really putting the effort forth really can help you get that. Okay, so that wraps things up. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. <laughs>